everyone. We are excited you are here. We are discussing part two of When Breath Becomes Air. This is our final podcast about When Breath Becomes Air, besides the guest episode with Lucy Kalanithi that's going to be releasing next week. So stay tuned for that guest episode. We are so excited. But today we're discussing part two. Before we begin, we have some BTC announcements. So we are starting Movement May, and it's to encourage everyone to just get moving throughout their day since our schedule has been a little disrupted recently. So if you want to join Movement May and you're a podcast listener, just DM us on Instagram and we will send you the link to Strava, which is the app that we're using to track all of our movement for the month of May. And we're already on it. I think today I saw we're already at 10 miles. I mean, that's an improvement. So I'm super excited. Our goal is to reach 10,000 miles in the month of May as a group. So it's going to be very interesting, but I think we can do it. Lay of the land of the next hour is going to be I'm going to randomly pick a conversation card and ask Emily, Bree, and Sarah what their answer is. Then we'll hop into part two discussion. And we're thinking about ending with highs and lows at the end of the podcast. Oh, and let's not forget, in between the conversation card and the discussion, Emily is going to be sharing good news of the day to all just have positivity in our lives. Okay, random conversation card. Are y'all ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll answer first because I kind of cheated and read it and so I know what I want to say, but then whoever wants to go next can go next. Describe a time you thought your parents were 100% wrong, but eventually learned they were right. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like every situation, I know. Okay, I know. I'm, I'm sweating. <laughs> Sarah, your mom's gonna love this. Yeah, okay. she's gonna listen to this. <laughs> I know, I love ex- you, mom. I know exactly what mine is. My parents, when you know, we I started drinking, they would say, "Don't drink a lot. You're gonna get hungover." And I was like. No, dude, I feel fine the next day. I've never, I don't know what a hangover is. And man, was I 100% wrong on that. Yeah, I mean, golly. I mean, I don't drink now because I'm scared of hangovers. (laughs) So that was one thing that I thought they were 100% wrong on. And they were 100% right. Um, I'll go next. Mine is, um, I, I'm like back and forth between two, but I guess one thing, especially as I get older and I'm not like late twenties, whatever that means. Um, but they always used to say nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> and I was like, everything good happens after midnight for like years and years and years. And now the older I get, I'm like, no, nothing good. Like either like to Maddie's point <laughs> hungover or just went too far or whatever like um yeah thanks mom wish I would have listened that's a good one Sarah and Emily I'm stressing out I can't think of anything I'm like I was always right (laughs) (laughs) that can't be it that's not it that's so me I was I know I've been wrong before I know it's happened Emily, do you have anything? Well, of course. Okay, you go. I'm 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 going to I'm going to journal a little bit about it. Hold up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I knew that everything they said was right in that moment, but of course, to be a teenager just to say you're absolutely wrong. Um I mean, all I can think of is opening my first credit card and they highly advised against that and here I am with I'm sure some of the debt I have on that card is still from that time that I'm paying off so you know 
Gotta find out the hard way, though. That's a really good one. Yeah. My dad would that, like, never open a credit card. And I was like, why? It's money. <laughs> it's free. Oh, that's a good one. It really honestly seems like free money when you're a kid, too. Reality is so harsh. Okay. I get, I'm just going to go with this one. Hey, everyone. This is Sarah. So I'm thinking about something my parents used to tell me that they were totally right about. I don't, this is a really hard one for me too. Cause it makes me go back into like young Sarah. No, I always believed I'd get hangovers. I always like always scared of credit cards and whatnot. Um, Did they ever like advise against a boy or no, did you cool about that stuff? No, honestly, I feel like, in middle school and younger, I really struggled with friendships. This is sad. Um, but I never really thought that I would have a group of girlfriends, truly. I never thought that I would be that type of girl. And my mom, my mom said, you just need to meet the right people. You just need to meet the right group. And, you know, I guess she's right. If I'm counting BTC, you know. Aww. That's a good one. Right? So right. I, I journal a little bit. I talk to my heart. Oh, I love y'all. Yeah. Love y'all too. (laughs) Emily, hit us with the good news of the day. All right. So the good news of the day. So um, this story is actually from a few weeks ago, but I'm just going to read the summary of the story that I found. So this was a request that Winston Lee had never heard before in his 12 years of teaching. Lee is a history teacher at um, a high school in Kentucky, and last month, scrolled on the bottom of a test was a note um, from one of his top students asking, if you could, can you give my bonus points to whoever scores the lowest? The student had earned five bonus points by participating in an exam review. He received 94 in the test, and instead of bumping him up to an A+, Lee gave those points to a classmate who needed them to pass. Not all students are great test takers or in a comfortable situation at home that allows them to focus on studying. I feel really great that I helped this student from go from a 58 to a passing score. And that's Stop. from Good Morning America. Isn't that amazing? I... I swear... I have like mixed feelings about this because I hear more and more about how high school has become so hard and it's just kids are struggling with bullying and it's getting worse and worse and worse. But then I hear stories like this and nobody was doing that type of thing. And when I I was in high school, everyone wanted the bonus points. Everyone wanted the highest score. Mm -hmm. His name was Lee. That was the the last name of the professor, the, the classmate. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, the teacher, the teacher. Yes. Well, well go kid, whatever his name is. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. I actually am phonetically dyslexic. So I am an awful test taker and I always got like additional time. And instead of four multiple choices, I got three. <laughs> oh. So help to homie out. That's awesome. I think that's so great. And I don't know, it just made me think of unconventional ways of helping others that, like Maddie, I saw that you offered to donate some of the books that were on your bookshelf, like that took no monetary um, donations or anything. You just used your resources, what you had, and you connected with other people. So I thought we could all think about, you know, what's an unconventional way that you can help someone? Um, Because, I mean, who would think to donate an extra point that you got on a test you know so yeah that's a good point I would never think to do that I would never do that I loved getting that 105 101 that really brought me great joy literally would never do that and it was a was a little boy who did it Uh uh-huh okay pour one out for that little boy's mom because she's raising him right if it was a little girl I would be mad and I'd be kind of up in arms like no we should (laughs) we should teach girls to own their accomplishments and be confident but what a nice, what a nice young boy. Seriously. Shout out to his mom because she's raising a gentleman. I love that. Mm-hmm. 
Seriously. And Emily, you bring up a good point about unconventional ways of giving. A lot of people think it's, you know, monetary and that you have to have money to give back. But through the kindness challenge um, this month, BTC has had, I've realized from everyone's submissions of their kind acts that actually a lot of them, the, the kindest acts are the ones that don't have monetary backing. And not to say if you like give a lot financially, great, awesome, that's helping a lot. But I've seen people like give up their line, get up, give up their spot in line at Trader Joe's. And we all know grocery lines are just like, that's crazy. You just stood there for an hour and now you're going to go in the back of the line and stand there for another hour for an elderly person to go up first. Like, I just, I think that's awesome. I think there's ways to give back with your time and with the resources you have around you, not your money. So definitely. That's cool. Well, maybe we could like find this kid on Instagram. They had to like link the Instagram or something. They must have hero of the week. Yes. We'll, we'll find him. Yes, we will find him and we will get him on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down if his mom is. Mom, he brings his mom too. Agreed. Okay. Sure. So we are hopping into part two discussion of when breath becomes air. Y'all. I mean, was I the only person that had tears running down my face? No, I actually no. have the, the one tear just on this side and I'm wearing um, vegan mascara. So it like, it ran. It was really dramatic. <laughs> my boyfriend kept checking up on me like, are you okay, sweetie? And he was bringing me oh. chocolate cookies that I baked. But <laughs> no, it, it got really emotional and I was very surprised by how, um, how deeply it hit. I just kept flipping my pages. Like I, I wanted it to keep going, mm-hmm. you know. And then when it, when there was nothing left on the pages, I just, I don't know. I took a moment to like take it all in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. I, so, Lucy's epilogue is at the end. So when I was reading the book, I felt more pages. I didn't consider her epilogue and the acknowledgements at the end. So I thought, oh, we, you know, I have a good 30 more pages. And then like, boom, it like mm-hmm. ended so quick with that last paragraph that Paul just like drops on me like the universe. And I was bawling my eyes out, like not cute, not like Sarah's one tear. Like I had closed the book and was crying in my hands. Like Paul was my father i i was like so invested in it and so honestly her epilogue at the end that's like what tied it all together and kind of put the bow on top of it like i really loved his perspective but i think i related to her more um and like he was talking about everything he's going through firsthand but like then to see it from her angle of yeah she was next to him during all of that um, I thought it was just amazing. So agreed. Yeah, I really loved oh. hearing Lucy's perspective also. I The way it ended, we as readers kind of got to experience Paul's death a little bit too. Like it, it felt like he died. Was, okay, I knew this person. We're driving along. We're driving along in the mountains. And then it just felt like we drove off a cliff off of the edge. And I, I felt like the way the book ended was a really good metaphor for death. Uh, it's kind of unexpected. We don't really know when it's going to happen. It was really elegant the way they did it. And uh, yeah. Wow, Sarah. Yeah. Bomb drop. That was amazing. <laughs> I, I, t- I totally agree. It was like we experienced him leaving. And I think that's why I was so torn up. Okay. I'm going to jump into question one. What did you think of Paul and Lucy's decision to have a kid when he has this terminal illness? Such a human decision. And I thought about it 
not for that long, but I think I would have made the same choice. I think when you're given certain decisions to make in life, you, you can't look into the crystal ball. You can't see the future. You have no idea how things are going to turn out. So in accounting, there's the going concerns assumptions, like the business will remain operational for the foreseeable future. So I think that's what they were working with. You know, Paul's alive, Lucy's alive. That's all they have to work with at the time. They as people wanted to have a child and I applaud the decision they made. Uh, it was the optimistic decision too. And it's a decision that I also would have made. I think this whole book is really brave in that it's vulnerable and human. And I think their decision to have a child was in keeping with that. Yeah, I loved that. Um, I mean, like exactly to Sarah's point and even what Lucy said at the end of like, even when people leave this earth, it's not like your love for them changes. And so having obviously I'm not a mom and so I don't have the same perspective or like any type of decision, but I just thought it was like, like kind of eye opening of like, even when people leave this earth, you still love them the same. You still like miss them the same. So um, having a child with that person, I feel like is like the best way to remember, but also like to continue to love I was really torn about this. So when I was reading it, like when he was talking about it on page 43, I was like, oh, should they be having a child? Shouldn't he be more focused on his treatment? And, you know, I don't know Lucy and Paul's like financials, but setting her up for success. And like it, I was very kind of torn about it. But now that the book is finished, I couldn't imagine Paul leaving this earth without having Katie in his arms those last couple of months. And I I mean, it wouldn't have been the same. I don't think he would have died as brave as he did if he didn't have his daughter. Right. And I think he even spoke to that whenever they were deciding whether or not to to do it you know when what was the quote yeah i have it right here i'm on page 143 and lucy asks what are you most afraid or sad about she asked me one night as we were laying in bed leaving you i told her i knew a child would bring joy to the whole family and i couldn't bear to picture lucy husbandless and childless after i died but I was adamant that the decision was ultimately hers. She would likely have to raise the child on her own after all, and to care for both of us as my illness progressed. Will having a newborn distract from the time we have together? She asked. Don't you think saying goodbye to your child will make your death more painful? Wouldn't it be great if it did? I said. Lucy and I both felt that life wasn't about avoiding suffering. Mic drop. Seriously. Yeah. Life lesson. And I, when I, the very, very first time I read that, I, I had to go back and read it again to really understand it. Okay. Tell me more, Emily. <laughs> I, I just. Because, yeah, I mean, my initial reaction was no, you know? And then, I mean, like you said, just as as the book went on, I understood more about why they made the decision. And, yeah, yeah. to have such a great, such a great father, you know, even though he's not with her now. Yeah. So what do you all think about this concept of... Like, do we agree that life should not be about avoiding suffering and how we know suffering is inevitable? So how can we deal with it more graciously? It is kind of funny because we, we do certain things so we don't get hurt, 
but I think everyone can relate to the fact that we all learn and grow the most from our suffering and we all know it's bound to happen, but I definitely think it's a part of life that we should all experience. But I, I, I have to say, I think we all avoid, we try to avoid it. Not only do we try and avoid it, but even when we're in it, like, yes, we do try and avoid it, but obviously you can't avoid it. And so then the next step, you're actually in it. Something bad has happened and you're completely miserable. Like you're not 99% of the human population is not handling suffering like Paul is. Like, Paul is, like, on another level of, like, bravery and integrity and patience and hope. And and how can we be more like that when we're going through any type of suffering? Job loss, parent loss, like, anything. Yeah, I so I just finished the book, like, an hour before we all met. So that was, like, the first thing I took away and, like, what would my life look like if I took suffering head on kind of like he did? Like would I live differently? Would I see the world differently? Would I love differently if I knew it was coming and just like embraced it and lived in it? And yeah, it's just like such a hard thing to do because culture teaches us to like pull yourself, pull yourself away and navigate away from it. And try to manipulate things where you don't have suffering and it's just not life at the end of the day. Like this is just like the fact of life, I guess. Well, and it just makes you think about this time that we're in right now, you know, it's how can you make your suffering through this situation? How can you grow something out of it or what can, what can you personally get out of it? Yeah, totally. I think suffering is totally a part of the human condition. I think to an extent to be alive is to suffer, not to sound too, too dark about it. I used to really be interested in singing blues songs. And so I'd go to different blues shows and different open mics and see everybody get up on stage. And it's mostly like these grisly old men and uh so I would get up on stage and try to sing the blues and talk about like how I'm feeling sad and all this kind of all this bluesy stuff but I I wouldn't buy it at all and I felt so insecure about singing these sad lyrics and I was talking to my mom about it and she told me everybody knows suffering when you were two years old you felt sadness you felt you felt the blues and yeah I think to be alive is to deal with things that are unsavory. And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the last year is that it's not really what happens to you. You don't have to accept that. It's how you react to a certain situation. So it's not really the suffering. It's how you react to the suffering. Are you, do you take it head on? Do you feel victimized? How do you react? No, completely. And if we could just all try and channel our Paul, like, could you imagine, could you imagine how inspiring that would be if we all channeled like how Paul was when he, probably one of the biggest sufferings in my opinion, like being a neurosurgeon, being terminally ill with stage five lung cancer, and then having a brand new daughter, like that is significant suffering. That's not, oh, you you lost your job, which is hard, but like, that's your life. And yet he still did it so graciously. Like, I think I'm going to have Paul like tattooed on my heart for the rest of my life, like going through a hard thing. I'll always remember this book. This book was a good level set too. I, I don't know if level set's the right word, but it was a good wake up call. Something I've been thinking about a lot over the last year. Am I doing what I want to be doing in my life? Who am I? What legacy am I leaving on earth? Just thinking a lot about my day to day. And this book was a great wake up call and a really good way, at least for me to pull my thoughts together on like the, what am I doing with my life question? <laughs> yeah. 
I love that. Awesome. Does anyone want to read the last paragraph on page 199? It's the very last paragraph of the book. I'm looking for it. I'll read it. Okay. Starts with the message is simple. Yes. Okay. The message is simple. When you come to one of the many moments in life where you must give an account of yourself, provide a ledger of what you have been and done and meant to the world. Do not, I pray, discount that you filled a dying man's days with a sated joy, a joy unknown to me in all my prior years, a joy that does not hunger for more and more, but rests satisfied. In this time, right now, that is an enormous thing. Yeah, so good. So we know that Paul died while writing this book. So my question to you is, if we could ask Paul any questions, what would your question to Paul be? I know this is a hard one. And just for our listeners, I want to make sure y'all know we encourage silence in our in-person groups. Um, We live in a noisy society where it's hustle and bustle and whoever talks first is the smartest and knowledgeable. And we really try and get out of that stigma. And so if you're listening and there's a massive moment of silence, to me, that's growth. And that's people's brains actually thinking before they speak, which is amazing. So take the time that when I ask a question, like what would be your question to Paul when there's silence as a listener, you can kind of digest that question and come up with your own answer too. And then you can DM us and tell us what your question would be. (laughs) Okay. Anyways. I'll get back on topic. That was a little soapbox. But what would be your question to Paul? I mean, I think, like, I don't even know if this is a fair question, but knowing how the story ends, what do you do differently, if anything? Do you start trying to have children differently? Do you still become a neurosurgeon, neuroscientist, or do you pursue the writing thing further? Like, that's a yeah, that's a good one. Mine kind of fits with that. The first thing that came to my mind is I'd want to ask him if he would keep seeing patients during the time where he was sick, or if he'd rather just spend that time with family. I kind of think he might keep seeing patients, but we can never know. I also think, so we're, we're assuming that he beat this cancer. Like this is the Paul we're talking to. Right. Okay. I would be really interested to see what he's going to do with the rest of his life. I imagine after you're going through, after going through an experience like that, that really renews your lease on life and changes everything. So I'd I'd be really interested to see what his future plans are. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Yeah, and I I just wonder, like, how he intended the book to end, you know, or if he even set out writing this book with a full beginning, middle, end in mind, or if he was just writing it, you know? Yeah, yeah. What do you ask him, Maddie? I don't know. I I mean, I come up with the discussion question. So as I was typing this one, I was very torn. I mean, a part of me would ask him how he founded this bravery. Where do you channel this bravery that you have and this integrity? Is this learned from your parents? Is this learned from the literature you you read growing up? Is this learned from your school? Like how, where did you find this type of passion? I would love to hear 
I mean, I think it's a combination of all of those. If he was here today, I think he would say Katie and Lucy and my parents and yeah, my everything that happened to me is what created me. But sometimes I would like a little clearer answer so I could find a way to find that in myself too, if that makes sense. No, I love that. Can we ask Lucy what maybe she thinks? I love that. I'll write it down right now. Okay. And it makes me think of whenever he asked, or was it V that asked him? Like, yeah. Do you think, um, what did, what was the question? Sorry, I forget. Do you think like I have lived a moral life is basically what V asked Paul when V was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, I believe. And remember, this is in part one for our listeners, but Paul was shook because V, in his eyes, was authentic, giving, loving, and even someone of a man with such high, like, hopes and dreams in life and actually lives it out was questioning his mortality. And Paul was like, if he's questioning his mortality... How, what am I, what, what is anyone else going to be like? But do y'all think Paul really questioned his mortality? Yeah, I think so. I think he was forced to as a doctor every day, super Mm -hmm. aware of life and death. I was questioning and by questioning your mortality, do you mean, questioning your place in the world. I just want to make sure I'm understanding questioning what your life has meant. I'm more thinking of mortality as like questioning death. Well, then he, he does say that he, you know, the stages of grief, he did it backwards. So he started off with acceptance and then moved into denial. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, he totally did say that. I didn't even think about bringing that up on the podcast. But yeah, he did start backwards, which is very interesting. Okay, sorry. I I closed the paper that I had. So the next question we're going to dive into is about Lucy. So... Lucy, at the end of the book, writes an epilogue, which is pretty amazing. I think all of us agreed it was kind of the part of the book that tied the whole book together. And so Lucy, so awesome. But she writes, in some ways, Paul's illness brought them closer, that she fell even more deeply in love with the beautiful, focused man. He became in the last year of his life. Did you find yourself seeing how this could happen? Like, what did y'all think when she said that? And just a little, I mean, Lucy touches on it too in the epilogue, but they did have, you know, marriage conflicts, just like any marriage when he was in residency. And she even said, like, a lot of her friends and family didn't know about their marriage conflicts that Paul wrote about in the book, but that she's glad Paul wrote about it because it's their story. But then she falls even deeper in love with Paul throughout that last year. And I just, like, want to hear y'all's thoughts of, like, how is that? How do y'all feel about that? She's losing her husband but falling deeper in love with him. So I feel like it's very scientific or it's such a scientist of him to include that he was going through these marital problems with Lucy too. And she writes also that she's glad he included them because he seemed like he was dedicated to finding the most real version of the truth. He seemed like a person that was very interested in facts and he, he, in including those problems helped portray more of the truth of what was going on. And this is sort of unrelated, but Lucy writes that she's sad. We couldn't see his humor and his warmth, but I totally picked that up from the book. Yeah. I I felt like he was a friend that I had jokes with and I, I could tell that 
he was the type of person who rarely met a stranger. Uh, and I can totally understand how Lucy fell deeper in love with him through going through this experience, not only through somewhat of a trauma bond, but just this was a completely new experience. So it's almost like she's meeting a completely new person, but this person has all the attributes of the man she met, the man she's in love with, the man she married. I can totally understand. And to just, I think in a situation like that, previously before the diagnosis and anyone that's been in a relationship, you just take things for granted, I guess. And it's so easy to get upset over a little thing and get an argument and then it turns into a grudge for a day or two and then you get past it. But I think that all was stripped away. So I don't know what the details were of like the actual marital issues, but I don't, I mean, I know I've, the, the only fraction of a thing that I can relate to is that I'll be not in a fight, but just having a bad attitude and then just kind of waking up and realizing it's not worth it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like the scenario that she's in is so unique. And to Emily's point, like that's probably exactly where they got to live day to day and just be like, do not sweat the small stuff. Um, I actually in college, all through high school and college dated the same guy. And when we were juniors in college, his dad died. Um, and it was one of those where it was like, okay, this is going to be in the next like couple months, couple like the unknown, but like there was a time that we knew it was coming. And like thinking back, like that was, and I mean, we were together for quite a while, but those months leading up to when he actually passed were actually really fun. Everything was light. Everything was just about like good memories and making the most of things. So that's, probably and it wasn't even me I, I'm assuming like that that boyfriend at the time probably felt in some way Lucy felt um but yeah yeah um I think all of those answers are awesome I wanted to point out two things I was a hot mess when she was talking about all the beds they have slept in yes and Oh my gosh. I can't even read it that page to the listeners right now because I will cry. But she walks through the twin beds when they were in medical school, which like, I just feel that so much because I've been dating Alex since I was in fifth grade. I literally, I had not like we were in the same bed in fifth grade, but like we have had a whole bunch of stages of like, different beds we have been in and for her to be so present in the moment like she was thinking about all of the beds they had been in when she was laying in the last bed she'll be in with Paul be more present and be more selfless like she of course she's sad of course she's like mourning in her own way but yet she's remembering all of the memories how she just had a Katie in a bed, how their bed at home is relaxed and how she doesn't know what bed's going to be like because when they slept together, they only slept comfortably when they were intertwined with one another. And I was like, hot, hot beds. <laughs> Am I the only one? No, I'm teaming no, up part, literally right now. Yeah, that part. And I just thought like the like symbolic of like your bed, like that's where pillow talk happens. That's where you like have your dreams, your aspirations, you set goals, you have fights. <laughs> like it's like a very vulnerable up. place. Yeah. Um, and so to like use the bed as kind of like the milestone marker, I thought was just like a really cool like glimpse into like their vulnerability of their relationship yeah it's not a glamorous spot you're not no. like posting a you know what i mean like it's very vulnerable spot that you 
you have your own thoughts before going to sleep. You have your first waking thoughts, not only as yourself, but then your partner next to you is having their own thoughts about their day. And I just, oh, I was so moved by the fact that how she related all the beds. And I, I just was bawling my eyes out at that point. And then also taking things for granted, like perfect example, like I will never probably go to sleep the same because like, I never was like, oh, I'm thankful I have somebody, you know, with me for the rest of my life. And we definitely cuddle in a weird way. Like I like to put my feet like underneath his legs and he hates it, but yet we do it every night. And he always says like, I'm sleeping on a bag of bones. <laughs> Sorry, bro. Like my feet are cold. And I, and now I'm just like, oh my God, I'll never, I will cherish that every night for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if Alex will, but. <laughs> uh, Any other. So sweet. I'm crying. I know. Was there, was there a question we had to answer? I feel like I had some, something to say. I, I'm struck. Lucy Kalanithi, great writer. I love her prose. Yes. Beautiful. That's why I kept flipping the pages because I wanted to keep reading more of her writing. Mm -hmm. I think her writing style and Paul's writing style, they really do complement each other well. They both use the most vivid imagery. And I think the beds tied into that as well. Like, oh my, I could see it. I could see the different... Like yeah. they got better sheets as time went on. Um, they, they got nicer beds and then down to the hospital bed. Yeah. What a beautiful writer. Both of them. I mm -hmm. mean, so intelligent. I, she even references like scripture and Psalms and church, like, and all everything she references beautiful, just like Paul, just like when Paul would reference something, it was so beautiful and touching and, they're, I mean, yeah, they are really, really intelligent humans and put so much like soul behind Seriously. their writing. I'd read Lucy's book for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. Me too. Seriously, it wasn't until I got to um, her piece where I was like, like, I think I was so focused on Paul's writing that I forgot, like, the world around him. And, like, she was there for all of that, too. So I'm really interested to see more of the podcast and, like, just how, like, what what did that story look like through her lens, I think, is going to be just unique. And not a lot of people get to have that opportunity to to love like that. And so it'll be cool. Yes. And I think the addition of her writing in the epilogue really helped us get an understanding of like the 360 degrees of Paul as a person because the prologue was written and I'm, I'm not remembering what relationship. How did the person from the prologue know Paul? They were just like acquaintances. And remember, okay. he went and visited him mm -hmm. in his like office. That was the one time him and Paul have ever met. And then he even mentions reading this book. He feels like he knows Paul inside okay. out more than he ever did in that first meeting in the office. Okay. So it was like kind of how like his acquaintances, peers see him, how he himself sees, how Paul himself sees Paul and then how his family sees him through Lucy's viewpoint. And I feel like, I really do feel like I know him now seriously because I just get to see how, how other people think he is, how he thinks he is really and, elegant i love how they did that and i love i mean i got closure from her her writing just the way she even described where he was laid to rest like she described that perfectly like i, I felt, felt like, like i was there like looking out into the ocean and you know all the different seasons that it goes through and No, I could see it. I, I could see this becoming a movie. When it ended, like, I was his wife and his witness. I was like... I know. I know we say mic oh, drop okay. a lot, but mic freaking drop. I closed the book and stared at the wall for a little while. What a strong ending. I know. 
I'm uh, shaking. One of my favorite things she said was on page 220. She said, indeed, the version of Paul I miss most, more even than the robust, dazzling version with whom I fell in love with is the beautiful, focused man he was in the last year. The Paul who wrote this book, frail, but never weak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My gosh, guys. For those I'm, of you, Maddie's jaw just dropped. <laughs> For those of you listening. I just frail, but never weak. Like Beautiful. So beautiful. So, so, so beautiful. I, I love this book. I mean, let's just be completely honest and vulnerable as who I am. It was, I was not wanting this book to win. I was rooting for, yeah, I was rooting for another book and the poll and this one. And I think this is like in my top three now books ever, not only because of the message and Paul, but the writing is so fluid and so thought-provoking. I mean, y'all, the last question is, how did you come away feeling after reading this book? I, I'm with you, Maddie. I wasn't rooting for this book either, just because I was like, we're in quarantine. Like, everything is negative. Like, my Instagram's negative. The news is negative. But I don't think I would have had the same like attention and maybe like had the same like processing time and power mentally to read this book at any other point in my life. And so like the timing of it, I think it's really given me a new aspect. And when this quarantine is over, because it will be that like you can still take that outlook and still take all of these kind of things that we've worked through as a book club and as friends um, to apply to like, what is our new normal going to look like? So I felt just so motivated to buy just when it ended, like I was flipping through the pages cause I was looking for more cause I wanted to keep reading. And there's like a couple blank pages at the very end. And I was just like looking at the blank pages, just kind of seeing them through his eyes, like what he wanted to put on the paper, like, cause he was looking at a blank page for the most blank pages, the most like throughout the end of his life. And it just made me think, cause I, I love drawing and creating. So I look at a lot of blank pages. So it just made me think like, what do I want to leave? And then I was just looking at the book. It's cause it's a beautiful book. The one I have, when you take the cover off, it's just all blank and white and it only has a simple spine on it. Um, and I was just imagining like his daughter is going to have this, you know, so what are we all leaving behind, you know? Yeah, I'm crying. I have tears in my eyes. That was really awesome. Yeah, even in the foreword, one of the things I underlined was when Abraham wrote, listen to Paul, period. In the silence between his words, listen to what you have to say back. And I was like, oh, this is this book is going to be intense. But I love how he calls out in the silence in between his words, because it really was that's how Paul wrote. He every word mattered and every pause and silence mattered, too. It was really beautiful. My well, at first I was kind of drained when the book ended because I was literally crying my eyes out. So I was like, I need to go on a walk. I need to process this. I can't believe I just cried that hard. Um, but now I'm, I'm so grateful. I feel like I know Paul. I feel like I know Lucy. I feel like I know Katie. And I'm grateful for their story and that he did put pen to paper, that he did look at the blank page, Emily, like you just said, and wrote about 
facing mortality. And I hope that, I mean, if I could even do it half as good as he did, I hope that I actually implement some of the things that he taught me in the book for sure. So I was shook at the end of this book also. Felt very raw. I also took a walk, went and watched the sunset. Because that's one of my favorite things to do. I like to watch the sunset and the sunrise. And Oh, I'm, I'm crying. Okay. Pulling it together. We don't know how many of those we're going to get. Yeah. And like, you never know. Oh my gosh. Woo. You never know which day is going to be your last. Mm -hmm. And like, you never know what little things you're going to miss. And it just helped me. I can't believe I'm crying. I actually always cry. I can totally believe that I'm crying. <laughs> it just feeds the appreciation that I have for everything in my life. You know, I, I think a lot about if you woke up today with everything you were grateful for the day before, what would you wake up with? I was thinking about that even more. And I just, I'm struck by how honest Paul was in this book. He was honest with himself. And I want to be honest with myself in that way. Mm -hmm. And this book has given me a lot to think about. Yeah, so good. Now I'm crying. <laughs> I mean, so great that one, we're all reading this book as a community because I feel like more than ever, we can hold each other accountable in living a life like this. And not only holding ourselves accountable, but also holding each other's hands while we all go through suffering. And it makes me think about something. So I kind of want to, or I guess we all could, for those of us who didn't vote for this book, kind of dive in, dig into why we didn't want to read it. Um, and I think ultimately I was scared to be sad and feel whatever feelings this book was gonna like spark in me. But that's also, like you said, why I love this group because we all did it together and we all were maybe scared to read it or hesitant to, to feel sad and we all did it together. And thank God we can all digest it together. I can't imagine reading this without anyone to talk about it with. Um, yeah, I know. So I'm so glad we can all talk about it together. Yeah. Wow. I'm sad it's over. I really am. I wish I could just like, I mean, I wish I could just give Paul a hug and tell him how he literally changed 400 women's lives, maybe even from the smallest bit of thought or hugely impacted someone's life and I mean what a legacy to leave behind and especially for Katie to know that that is her dad I mean what a gift okay part two is done we have an announcement to make on what the next book is gonna be I'm so excited about this book. I'm clapping my hands. Drum roll. Yeah, we should drum roll. I'm like, laptop drum roll. <laughs> okay, we will be starting Untamed by Glennon Doyle. It, yes, so excited. It killed the poll. I think it won by like 40 votes. I think everyone's really excited about this book. Glennon Doyle seems to be not only an amazing author, but very motivational. And she's also doing these live talks on our Instagram every day in quarantine. So go ahead and follow her because she, I haven't read the book, so I don't know much about her, but she seems very inspirational. And I'm so excited to dive in this book during quarantine. So don't forget to order the book online, btcbookclub.com backslash books. You can order it right there. It's from Amazon, same price for you. It just helps us being an affiliate with Amazon. 
And we will be starting this book the week of May 11th. So the actual podcast is going to come out on the 13th. I don't have the book yet, so I don't know how we're going to divide it up, what parts we'll be discussing on May 13th, but get the book and we'll be coming up, coming out with the chapter calendar soon. We're so excited to dive into Glennon. Yay. Can't wait. Now we're going to end the meeting on highs and lows. We, in most of our in-person groups all around the nation, do highs and lows at some point in the meeting. Some people do it at the beginning. Some people do it at the end. It's just your personal high and low of the day or maybe this past week. It doesn't really matter. There's not a lot of rules and regulations about this. Honestly, this started by our recharge trip. Jen Richter at the dinner table made us all go around and say our highs and lows. And I thought this was awesome. So we now implement implement it in a lot of our meetings. But you don't always have to have a low. Just, I mean, the girls, Emily, Brie, and Sarah know this. But you don't always have to have a low if you're listening. You can just say your high. But... I want to dive in and I miss these girls so much that I, I haven't been able to hug them in over a month and a half now. So I want to hear their highs and lows of their life right now. Okay. I'll go first. Um, this is Bree. My low, um, I'm a little homesick. My family lives 600 miles away and I'm just, this has like been the first week that I'm like, okay, I miss my mom, like for real. Um, I love technology and I love that it's getting, we're getting to like stay connected in that way. But um, yeah. And then my high is I got an air fryer. (gasps) Have you gotten an air fryer yet? Not yet. Yes, girl. Chain air fryer life. Game. Everybody should get an air fryer. Tell us about it. Okay. You literally throw anything and everything in this thing. And it like makes it have that like crispy texture, but it doesn't use oil. So it's healthy. So I've done like Brussels. I made um, cauliflower, like buffalo wings. I put chicken in there the other day. Um, Yeah. I mean, I need to get one of these. The surface. Yes. Everyone needs it been afraid to put chicken in there i've only done broccoli i'm definitely putting oil in it too is it do you just mean like a little bit of oil i mean i'm putting oil in there i'm just spraying like a little bit of coconut oil only because it's like holding the seasoning on but okay i same i was worried that i was doing it wrong and that i was gonna have some kind of explosion (laughs) so it's not like oil like where you like roll it in the batter roll it in the egg okay yeah I was going to say, if you see Austin, <laughs> Texas explosion on the news, it's me. <laughs> but it won't be. We're all good. We're in the clear. Safe. I can go next if you're done, Bree. Um, so, yeah, Milo actually Bree's the same, just missing my parents. And I think I normally, so they live in Houston, so they don't live too far from Austin. So I normally see them pretty often at least like every six weeks if not closer together and we're approaching that mark now in quarantine that it's been how many weeks five weeks i think um so yeah just missing being able to see them and also the fear associated with seeing them again i have that that was when this first thing all started i had seen them the week prior so I'm kind of getting those feelings back again. I don't want to put them at risk and I want everyone to be safe. So it's a conflicting feeling that I want to see them and I'm sad that I can't see them. And then I'm also sad that when I do see them, I'm going to be paranoid. Um, And yeah, just missing doing things like going to a restaurant, you know, like I've tried to recreate that experience. Like I went and picked up margaritas but it wasn't the same at all like it, it just made it worse you know I just wish I would have just stayed home <laughs> um but anyway so but um my high is we ordered paddle boards 
and we got one that's a little bit of a bigger size so that our dog can go on it. So um, Frankie's going to be learning how to paddleboard. So I've been shopping for life jackets for her too. So I love. Yes. Um, And they're inflatable. So they fold up and fit in a backpack and then it comes with a pump. So when you get to the river or whatever, you can pump it up. So we will have to go and socially distance. So fun. Yes. I'm excited. I'm going to need you to hit me with that link because I think (laughs) that's something I need. Yes. I'll send you, I'll send you the ones we got. I didn't know there were inflatable ones. It's it's one you can stand up. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, they're awesome. I saw one. The ones. I saw one on the river, um, like Ladybird Lake this weekend. Fits eight people. Eight? What? That's a kayak. That's, that's a yacht. <laughs> <laughs> what? I was like, I hadn't seen like the like big like it was like almost double the size, and I was like, oh, I haven't seen that for two people. And the girl was like, no, there's eight. I was like, wow. Oh, okay. I don't know about eight people. I know that's too. <laughs> you trust eight people to get on a paddleboard? No, it's like a stupid way to die. <laughs> Everyone would just fall in immediately. But no, yeah. The, so the bigger one we got can hold two. So if two people want to go on it, and then a, the third can go on the other one. So very cool. I'm in. We're excited. I need it. Great. Now I need an air fryer and an <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. We need to get some some affiliate codes. <laughs> quarantine <laughs> quarantine purchases for sure. So we're, I'm hoping that that will help with because that's something I would normally do before all this. So I'm hoping that will help my normalcy get back to what it used to be. I think it will. I think a lot of the anxiety from being stuck indoors too is just like we are DW. We can't, we can't go outside and do anything. I think that'll help. Yeah. What's yours, Sarah? Um, I don't really have anything specific. Just I'll start with Lowe's. I'm having a really rough time focusing. I have so much free time now. And it's just all sort of slipping through my fingers. I've always been the type of person when I have more to do, I do more. And now with just all this dead time, I sit down and it's 10 a.m. and then I stand back up and it's 2 p.m. and how did this happen and I've been really beating myself up about that too because I know that this time is a gift and I really want to do something with it and have something to show for it at the end so just trying to figure out how to discipline myself so that's my low having issues focusing my highs nothing super specific either I'm I'm really finding so much joy in at home workouts and walking around through the neighborhood with the dog, uh, specifically loving my fitness instructors, like Alex Toussaint. I don't know if you guys know who that is. He's a Peloton instructor. He is making my day every day. He's so motivational, gets me feeling amazing, like inhale confidence, exhale doubt. I think he says, well, uh, I should inhale that confidence again, inhale confidence, exhale doubt for sure. But yeah, I am loving working out, walking the neighborhood that's keeping me grounded. Yeah, well, first off, you should give yourself a little grace because you are doing a lot in your free time. And I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but Sarah is a singer, everyone listening. Okay. (laughs) She hates when I do this, but she is a singer and she came out with a song. She sent it to us before this podcast. Brie, Emily, right? That's amazing. Um, It was incredible. I wish I wrote it. (laughs) So, <laughs> podcast listeners, we will be linking Sarah's song to Air Fryer. An inflatable <laughs> These are some crazy links. This is really entertaining. <laughs> I could keep people entertained for like 30 minutes after. <laughs> yes. We, I really do. Don't let me forget, y'all, to link the, the things we talk about. Because people do ask about the stuff we talk about. My high and low, this is Madison. Um, my low is definitely dealing with the uncertainty of the pandemic right now. Not only the uncertainty of like the economy and 
the sickness and the virus and like large scale uncertainty, but also personal uncertainty with, I have been Fort Load with work. So what does that look like for me? Alex is still working every day out in the field, coming home. That's scary to me because I have a weak immune system. So just like navigating through all of that uncertainty is a low, but from what we learned from Paul is I am trying to not avoid suffering or uncertainty or anything negative. I'm trying to sit in it and be present in it and deal with it. So I'm going to be okay. And my high is probably honestly getting Lucy Kalanithi on the podcast by far probably the greatest thing that's going to happen to me this year. (laughs) I I was shook. Just for our listeners, Jen Holt, who is the Austin 2 lead, she listened to our podcast, our first one, part one of When Breath Becomes Air, and she reached out to me saying, yo, have you sent this to Lucy? Because the way y'all talk about Paul is amazing and I think she would love to hear what what y'all are saying about you know her husband and so I was like that's a great idea google search Lucy she has a website but she doesn't have a contact form she doesn't have her email on the website there was no way to reach her there I saw she had a twitter so I literally created a twitter account go follow me at Madison Bynum literally created it I only have one tweet and it was to Lucy Kalanithi (laughs) and it was basically saying how we run a book club with 500 women all across America and we're currently reading When Breath Becomes Air and we would be completely honored to have her on the podcast. So complete shot in the dark at this point, like, you know, just she has like 30,000 followers. Like, is she even going to see this tweet? And um she did and she dm'd us and she said yes and she's so excited and i yeah that is gonna be so cool just to see how btc is growing and flourishing and not only having lucy on the podcast is gonna be a high but also like all the positive feedback we got from the first episode of the podcast last week was very like i was definitely loosey-goosey about it like i was like oh my gosh we're growing so just the podcast as a whole has been a high for me. Um, but that's it. Wrapping up our first book on our podcast. I think we can all say we're walking away as different women, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I hope y'all know as listeners that you can count on us if you're suffering. Like we're here with you. We'll go through it with you. Just like Lucy did with Paul. And we love you and you're awesome. And everyone, just do something fun today that you love. Bye. Bye, Bye. (laughs) Bye, guys. Love you. (laughs)